Isaiah 30 today. Um, in Isaiah 30, we're in the fourth of the six woes from 20, what is that, 28 through 33. Um, and uh, in this passage, the whole background of this passage is the Assyrian threat to Jerusalem. It's going to climax in chapters 36 and 37, where the Assyrian armies are encamped around Jerusalem. There looks, there looks to be no hope whatsoever. Jerusalem was a tiny town. I, I never can sort out in my mind the, the boastfulness of the, um, of the kings of Assyria and other kings of Egypt who write these annals and tell about all the towns they conquered. Well, sure, if you've got this powerful army and you come and attack a town that's about 10 acres, which is the fortress of Jerusalem in ancient Old Testament period, 10 acres, that's about 400,000 square feet, the whole town. Uh, you can drive 20 miles in the Dallas area west if you start in the east, you can drive. I don't know how far the, the Dallas area goes. I bought a car several years ago in Weatherford. I live in Rowlett. <laughs> well, it was a good buy, is what it was. Uh, it was a great buy. Uh, that's 75 miles, and most of it is in... in um, uh, 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 urban areas. Are you with me? And if you go to Denton and, and drive south, how far does the... I don't know. I'm not trying to figure out the mileage from Denton down to Waxahachie, Haxawachie. What is, uh, um, just that, what is that, 40 miles? 60? Depends what time you go. Well, yeah. <laughs> Depends on what time you go. Uh, um, so what, what is 60 times 70? 4,200 square miles. Jerusalem was 400,000 square feet. <laughs> A little more than that. Sue me. Are you, am I making sense to you? Assyria, pardon it's like a city block. 70 miles? So 490,000, 49,000 square miles. God, zooks. And they're conquering these. Well, I conquered Ashdod. We're going to see that in this passage. They conquered it. Yeah. So, if I start out in Rowlett and I drive to Ashdod in the same distance, it's 35 miles. I don't even get to the end of I-30. I'm at exit 64 on I-30. <laughs> Are you with me here? What's the big deal about Congress? But they all boast and brag about all this. This powerful army with enormous siege engines comes and besieges a little town, and they capture it, and they think this is great victory. But put yourself on the other side in Jerusalem. And this huge army with all the siege engines and the know-how to use them and all the resources, yes, comes and besieges your city. What hope is there? 
So as we looked last time, um, Israel's running down to Egypt to get help. But our text is in, in chapter 30 is going to take this up a little more and pursue that more. Um, they didn't want to have to take refuge in the Lord either. They thought they knew where their resources could come from. There's a, 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 a very careful balance. I don't know how to make it. I don't know where you fall from faith into unbelief. I don't know where it is exactly. Proverbs says, if you see couple coming, if you see trouble coming, <laughs> I played these games with my mouth all these years and now I can't get out of it. But <laughs> uh, when you see trouble coming, if you fail to make a provision for the trouble, you're a fool. Proverbs teaches that. It's a matter of just sheer wisdom. So what does that mean? Well, as soon as you can when you start on your adult life, you need to start making preparations for retirement, for example. Yes or no? Yes. Is, it, is it unbelief or is it wisdom to make preparations for retirement? Is it unbelief or, or um, uh, wisdom to buy health insurance? Wisdom. Is it? Un and so on. We, we could continue, yes? But I knew when I started on my retirement program that I was never going to have enough money to retire. Uh, the, <laughs> my first salary was $17,900 a year with three kids. Uh, we made so little that the kids could get free lunches at school. <laughs> I know we didn't apply for food stamps, but <laughs> I was a full-time professor at a college. <laughs> Made this little. And when I came to my second year, they didn't give me a raise. And I, I said to my, my academic dean, have I not done the job well? He said, why? He said, I said, well, I didn't get a raise for the second year. Oh, he said, we gave you the second year raise the first year so that you could afford better to come. <laughs> Give me the third year raise now. <laughs> uh, I didn't start making $25,000 a year until 1989. I got finally up to, I got a $5,000 raise. And from 1982 to 1989, I made less than $20,000. Are, are you with me here? Uh, how much can you put back for retirement from that? And I knew that whatever it was, it would not be enough, but I would have to trust the Lord. Does this make sense to you? So there's, a, there's some place where you, you flip from being wise to being unbelieving. And I don't know where that place is. I suspect for each of us it's at a different point. But I have found in my own life that when trouble comes, um, the Lord seems to test us more in the air right now. It's going to be different in days to come. More in financial areas. And as, I, as long as I've got money in the bank, oh, oh, sure, I can trust. We can get through this. Are you with me here? It's when I don't have money in the bank that I don't know whether I can trust God. And I start really becoming uh, anxiety-ridden. Um, for each of you, it will be something different. 
God tests each of us in different ways because he's doing something different with each of us. And that's the remarkable, amazing creativity of our God. He's going to make you in, like Jesus in a peculiar way that nobody, I think, don't, don't make me point out a verse for this, but I think that we're going to be like Jesus in a peculiar way that nobody else quite reflects Jesus that way. There are too many of us. He is too great a person. So we're not just going to all be carbon copies. There's something unique about each of us. God is too creative to do simple carbon copies. Does this make sense to you? Carbon, that's old. <laughs> uh, so, so here is Israel, a Judah. They're struggling with the approach of the Assyrian armies, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. And so um, they are going to Egypt still. So chapter 30, uh, so Isaiah 30, verse 1. The first, so here, this passage, woe to the obstinate nation who puts confidence in man, Egypt, versus confidence in God. That the word Egypt there should be in brackets instead of parentheses, but uh, just notice that. So this is where we're going. Israel is being foolish in trusting in Egypt instead of the Lord. This is a message we've seen before, but we're going to see it again here. In verses um, 1 to 7, here is the, the distance from Jerusalem to Ashdod on the screen there. When I show that map, you think, wow, uh, it's way down by the coast. That's 35 miles. Some of you drove more than 35 miles to get here today. Yes? That's the dis distance from Jerusalem to Ashdod. Ashdod's a little town. It's no bigger than Jerusalem. So, um, this, this whole passage is going to be uh, about this problem as Syria's down at Ashdod they're coming up they're on their way so verses 1 to 7 they, God scoffs at their alliance with Egypt and as you see on the screen Egypt was no help to Ashdod only 35 miles away what good are they going to be what good is Egypt going to be for Israel so Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine. That's, oh, I, I want to stop. Let me go on and read through verse 7. They execute a plan but not mine. They, they make an alliance but not by my spirit in order to add sin to sin who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the safety of, to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame and the shelter of, uh, uh, in the shadow of Egypt your humiliation. For their princes are at Zoan. Okay, what's the point? They're located. They're geographically limited. 
and their ambassadors arrive at Hanes. The point, so verse 5, everyone will be ashamed because of a people who cannot profit them, who are not, a hel- not for help or for profit, but for shame and also reproach. The oracle concerning the beasts of the Negev, through the, the Negev is the southern part of Israel that goes down to the Sinai Peninsula, okay? Um, fr- uh, 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 through a land of distress and anguish, from where comes lioness? and lion, viper, and flying serpent. They carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys. So Judah is sending ambassadors down to Egypt, taking wealth, trying to buy the Egyptians. Uh, their, their treasures are on camel's humps to a people who cannot profit them, even Egypt, whose help is vain and empty. Therefore I have called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. Um, what's the point? Go back to verse 1. What's the point? They execute a plan, but not mine. The plan is what we've said in, in weeks past. Um, folks, I, I preached in chapel this week at, at seminary, and I, was, I never know what to preach on. Uh, they asked me about six weeks ago, what, what passage are you going to use? What's its title? What's its sermon? What's its... Uh, a, a sentence summary of it. Why are you smiling, Brother Ken? Understand. Yeah, Doctor Crichton, our our president in Memphis, said Jim, when they do that, they always do that, and I never know what I'm going to preach on. I just tell them I'm going to preach on the great promise of God, and then I can do anything I want. <laughs> uh, uh, but I thought seriously about preaching a sermon, I did something different, but I, I thought seriously about preaching on a sermon on what can you trust God for? We did that a few weeks ago in this class. What can you trust God for? When we talk about faith, I always say, can you trust God for, we're, we're just going to trust Jesus, amen? amen. We're just going to trust Jesus. We're going to pitch our tent on LBJ Freeway and we're just going to trust Jesus. Is that faith or is that presumption? It's quite presumption. See, we assume that trusting Jesus means that he's going to save us from the semis that drive through tents on LBJ. Yes? I can trust Jesus, as I said to you in time past. I can trust Jesus if I put... I got my tang all tangled around my eye teeth and I can't say what I'm seeing. Uh, I can't trust Jesus if I pitch my tent on LBJ Freeway because when the semi hits me, he will take me to be with him in heaven and I can trust that because he saves fools as well as sinners. Are you with me? But that's not something I can trust God for. So what can I trust God for? When we define, when I have defined faith in this class, I have always defined it starting this way. Faith begins with knowledge of the person and what? The plan of God. I have to know something about the person of God, something about the plan of God. And in my Christian walk, I need to know the plan of God not for my life. He hasn't promised to reveal that. God, I don't know what to do. What, which way should I go here? 
most of the time when I ask that question, it's because I don't want to take responsibility for the results. Um, but a, a, a fellow from the Pacific Northwest, a guy named, uh, now I can't even remember, Gary Friesen, wrote a book a number of years ago called um, Decision Making in the, in the Will of God. And he, he proposed this. You ask two questions when you have to make a decision. First question, are all the options equally moral? If all the options are equally moral, you ask the second question. Okay? Second question is, are all the options equally wise? If the answer is yes to both, both questions, do what you want. God is pleased. God hasn't, as far as I know, God has not given us any promise to give us a specific plan for my life and let me know what it is. God has a plan for my life. I now know what it is up to this point. Yes, sir. Uh, decision making and the will of God. And Friesen is F R I E S E N. Um, decision making and the will of God. Two questions are all the options equally moral? If they're not, you get rid of the ones that are not moral. If they are, then you ask, are all the options equally wise? If they are, then you choose what you want. If they're not, you get, one, get rid of the ones that are not very wise. Are you with me here? Yes? God does have a plan for your life. You are living it out. You now know a great part of it. It's God's will that I be here this morning to teach Sunday school. Evidently, because I'm here. Because he could have stopped it in any number of, any of a number of ways. But, but I couldn't trust God that I was going to get here. I might have been hit by a semi out on... George Bush Turnpike. Yes? And I might be in the hospital right alongside Jim Small someplace. I don't know that. I can't trust those things. I can trust the outcomes of those things, but I cannot trust everything is going to be safe and happy and, and comfortable. Yes? When you say these statements that I can't trust, is it your problem or God's problem? It's my problem. Because okay, I'm telling God what he has to do. Okay, so you're saying I can't move unless I know where to go. No, no. I know where to go most of the time. Yes? Okay. Is it God's will that you go there? Yeah. But I don't know that I'm going to get there. Well, if it's God's will, I would trust we're, we're Let's not get into this because it's going to take us the rest of the hour to, to sort all this out. I know I brought it up. It's my fault. But, but what I'm trying to get at, folks, is you have to trust God. And the way you trust God is about an outcome you don't know. And that's what I don't want. I'm an American. <laughs> I make plans. Amen? I get together the resources, I get the personnel, I put them in place, give them the authority, give them the, 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 the resources, and they do the plan, and we work, yes? Or not. <laughs> I want to know that all the outcomes I want are secure. What I must do is come to be satisfied with God's outcomes being secure. Carol, 
I'm sorry. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 comes yeah. to mind. Yeah. Uh, in all your ways, acknowledge yeah. him, and he'll direct your path. But it's the acknowledging him that I'm talking about. Right. Yeah, that's the crucial point in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So here, they are making plans. Is it wrong if you are being attacked? You know you're going to be attacked by the Assyrian army. Is it wrong to strengthen your fortifications? No. Is it wrong to look around and see what resources do we have? How are we going to... No. But finally, when the resources, all the resources are utterly inadequate, in fact... I started to say finally that it's time to trust God. It's time to trust God before that. When I find that the resources are inadequate, but this, the 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 um, danger is certain, I'm going to trust God for the outcome. And the outcome may not be comfort. Probably won't be. The the outcome may not be ease and happiness. It will be eternal. Ease, comfort, and happiness. But it may not be in this life. Um, Jesus could do what he did through all the days of his life because he knew what the outcome was going to be. And on the other side of the cross is the open tomb. Does this make sense to you? He knew that. You know that to be absent with the, from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what if you die? Um, death is not an evil that you and I must avoid at all costs. Most of us don't face death very often, except on the highway. <laughs> but uh, but um, we feel safe enough on the highway that we don't dread death. What I fear most is to be ashamed before people, to be put to shame. Am I making sense to you? I don't want to do something and end up looking like a fool. But brothers and sisters, faith never looks like wisdom to the world. It always looks like folly. And there is no option. The only thing for us, the only thing for Judah... They had a God who had given them a covenant about the permanence of the Davidic covenant uh, of the Davidic house. This is the day of Hezekiah. Yes, yes, no. Yes. All right. We're in the late part of the eighth century BC. We know what Hezekiah didn't know that the Davidic house wasn't going to come to to an end in his days. But he has a covenant promise from God. Turn to Psalm 89. Let me show you this covenant promise from God. Psalm 89. His forebears we looked at in, in chapters 6 and 7 and following. Um, um, uh, now I can't think of their names. Ahaz... Um, Wicked king. But Psalm, I can't make my fingers work. I'm going to have to get a page turner. <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 89, verse 30. As wicked as his forebears were, verse 30. 
If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if I violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him who's him. David. I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my, in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon and the witness in the sky is faithful. Here's Hezekiah whose basic heart attitude toward God is to trust God. He's a man who takes refuge in the Lord, but he has, he has governmental officials. <laughs> are, are you aware that being at the head of the government doesn't mean you control things? Right. Are you aware of this? Are you aware of this? Right. Just wondered. I didn't know whether you'd ever confronted that notion or not. But, but, but Hezekiah can't control all of his, his officials, and they're probably putting pressure on him to send, to send ambassadors to Egypt and get help. But Hezekiah is a man who take, takes refuge in the Lord. We'll see that in chapters 36 and 37. And I'm so glad we have 36 and 37 ahead. <laughs> uh, so, so, is this going to be the end, the death knell of Jerusalem? Well, you and I know history. Hezekiah didn't. We know, we've read Isaiah 36 and 37. Hezekiah hadn't. But the only thing you can do is place all your hope in the promises of God, and in those promises you rest. I haven't gotten to that point yet. I hope one of these days I will get there, resting in the promises of God. Uh, a pastor in uh, Memphis told about a story about an elderly woman who was on her deathbed, and she called the pastor, not him, it was another pastor, to her bedside, and she said, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. I've forgotten all the promises. I can't think of a one of them. And he said, but God hasn't forgotten them. <laughs> so, take refuge in the fact that our God is faithful. Take ref- what, what have I been saying to you? What God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what he will do in the future, but he's too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. Why do we need to study the Old Testament? Well, in the first place, I get to know who God is in the Old Testament. Um, it, it was terribly frustrating to me, but most of the evidence on the attributes of God comes from the Old Testament. The attributes of God are then applied to Jesus in the New. <laughs> I was just shocked at that. I wasn't prepared for that kind of insight. But... Uh, but that's the first thing. Second thing, though, is I need to know what God has done in the past because he hasn't changed. In Hebrews 13, 8, important verse, but it's preceded by Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
But 13.7 says, um, take note of those who have led you and observing the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You need to know the story of Chuck Swindoll. You need to know each other's stories. Because what God has been for you, he is still the same God. He hasn't changed. And in Isaiah 40, where is that? Isaiah 46, maybe? One of my very favorite passages. Yes, 46. Look at 46, 1 and 2. Uh, Babylon is is under attack. Uh, The armies of Persia are coming. They're going to besiege the city. And the people are desperate. So they've got to save what's most important to them, the gods that are going to take care of them. They've got to save their own gods. Verse 1, Baal has bowed down, Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. Why? You strap your god on the back of, a, of, a, of an ox to get your god out of town so that the enemy won't steal your god. Things that you carry are burdensome, a load for a weary beast. They stooped over. They bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden. The, the cart that, that you've got your God standing in, getting out of town, has hit a rut in the road. The God's starting to topple, and everybody's jumping, trying to catch the God so he won't fall face down in the muck. But have themselves gone into captivity. The gods themselves are going into captivity. Verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth, and have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you. I will hear you. And I will deliver you. Yes. That's my favorite verse. Isn't that a great the passage? The repetition in that. Yeah. Times yeah. I will. Four times. I will. I will. I will. I will. Yeah. And this is Isaiah 46, when Israel has been taken into captivity in Babylon. What God promised he would do in Deuteronomy 28. If you violate the covenant enough, I'm going to take you off to Babylon. But even in the days of judgment for sin, his people have promised that he will care for them. Are you, are you with me at all here? Uh, this is Isaiah uh, then 30, verses 1 to 7. Why are you so foolish? So a so, um, couple of quotations there I'm going to skip. Verses 8 to 18, Judah is blinded having rejected God's help. (laughs) Verse 8. Now go, um, write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll that it may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. 
get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, since you have rejected the word and have put your trust in oppression and guile and have relied on them, therefore, this iniquity will be to you like a breach from uh, about to fall, a breach of, of a wall, a wall. You've seen these, these things, no doubt. A wall that's leaning over and you, you walk around it. <laughs> uh, uh, um, verse uh, 13 continues, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant, whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar so, so ruthlessly shattered that a sherd will not be found among its pieces to, to take up fire from a hearth. You, you use broken pottery to scoop up coals to, to start a new fire, yes? Well, there won't be that big a piece left. Um, 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you are not willing. And you said, No, we will flee on horses. We'll get away. And we will ride on, uh, we will, uh, uh, sorry, we will ride on horses, therefore, those who pursue you will be swift. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man. You will flee at the threat of five until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop or a signal on a hill. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Uh, I looked at this word. It's, it's only used a few times, maybe 12 times in the Hebrew Bible, so it's a little hard to know exactly what it means. But five of the 12 mean... Uh, he's he's to, to look expectantly. You know the time is coming. Are you with me here? You're looking expectantly. You just can't quite wait till it gets there. It's like Christmas when you were a kid. Yes? The Lord knows the time is coming to be gracious, but he's waiting on pins and needles. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Oh, good, justice, that's what we need <laughs> from God. Uh, again, I'm going to skip a little bit here and move on to this God of trust of justice. Verse 18, therefore, um, Oswald makes this comment, because Judah will not wait on the Lord, but insists on rushing off on horses, the Lord must wait to show his, his grace until they are in a position to receive it. That's uh, not the point. I think he's off on a, on, a, on a tangent here. Let me talk to you about this waiting and justice. What is going on here? Um, again, I'll skip that. Uh, is God a God of justice? Well, yes. Well, is that what we need? It's what we deserve, but is it what we need? Um, NLT says, so the Lord must wait. Must wait? No, the Lord has a plan. He's not. This isn't being foisted on him from outside. Um, maybe grace must wait. No, grace doesn't have to wait. Um, Calvin 
this has got to be right because it's Calvin. <laughs> Amen? Um, hope because God is just and thus he moderates his wrath? No, that's not it either. And I'll show you what it is. There's another view. And what I want to show you is this. God is a God of justice. But how does the Bible talk about justice? And the best definition I have uh, comes from right out of the Bible, as far as I can tell. I got some of the ideas from scholars, but the best I can do with this comes right out of the scriptures. Um, Look at the parallelism in verse 18. Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Then compassion and grace are part of God's justice. Isn't that stunning? And here is my, here is, uh, so we've done that. Um, God's righteousness, justice. In the Old Testament, there, is, there are distinct words for righteous and just, uh, but not in the New Testament. And they, they feed in together so carefully, uh, so thoroughly that it's hard to define one without the other. So the righteousness slash justice of God is his characteristic complete loyalty to himself and his covenant. What did, you, what did we just read, Psalm 89, about the Davidic covenant? The day when the king is one who takes refuge in the Lord is no day for condemnation. That day's coming. But about 115, 20 years later. But it's not that day. Yes? This is a day of compassion. Justice? Folks, do you not know that God just uh, saves justly? He is acting in justice to Jesus to save you. And when he forgives your sins, what do you read in 1 John 1, 9? He is faithful and just to punish our, discipline our sins, punish our sins. No, to forgive. He acts in justice when he saves in light of his own character and his own covenant. I got to know the person. I got to know the plan of God in order to be able to trust him. Does this make sense? Then, if I know the person and I know his justice is his characteristic complete loyalty to himself and his covenant, and I know what the covenant is, what covenant do you have with God? Do you have a covenant with God? Well, it was made by the founding fathers in 1770. No. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. You're in the new covenant. Are you with me? It's sealed by the blood of Jesus. His is the sacrifice for the covenant. He is the mediator. He is the guarantor of the covenant. And God must act toward you in justice by saving. Timothy says, even though we are faithless, yeah. God is faithful. He cannot, cannot deny, deny himself. himself. Yeah. And there, wish you wouldn't put, quote that passage. I've got problems there. I don't know how to solve. But you, yeah, you're right. That 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 couple of lines is 
right on target. My, my point, folks, is for Judah, here in, Jer- in Isaiah chapter 30, the issue is they're not paying attention. They don't trust the word of God. They don't trust the prophets. They are blind, and God blinds them. And he blinds the prophets. He blinds the, the seers so that they can't speak. They can't tell the word of God. But they have the written word if they would just believe it. Brothers and sisters, I am not a prophet or the son of a prophet. And you're waiting for it to fall. I work in a non-profit organization. (laughs) But I can tell you the character of your God, his plan. And his plan is to honor you like he honors Jesus. Then taking refuge in him is always the wisest policy. Does it mean you shouldn't prepare for retirement? Does it mean you shouldn't buy health insurance, life insurance? No. It's a matter of wisdom. Don't trust those things. Life insurance companies fail. Yes? Uh, Stock markets crash. So you don't put your trust in those things. But you're a fool if you don't make provision when you see trouble coming. On the other hand, they're not your object of trust. The only thing you have to trust (laughs) is the omnipotent God who has included you in a plan that required the sacrifice of Jesus to get you where you are today. And if he will spend his son for you, what will he withhold from you in terms of blessing? It's close with prayer. Father, it has in the past built my faith to see to say things like this in public. Um, I trust that you'll give me a, 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 a stronger foundation of being able to trust you, take refuge in you, to wait upon you. Um, to find you a uh, refuge and a tower of strength in all trouble. But we, we need all of, all of us that. So, Father, would you do that with us as we watch the problem that Judah faced? We face that problem in so many ways ourselves. So would you give us that kind of confidence let us start looking for your hand in our lives, seeing your work. Let us recall, even perhaps write down for our children and grandchildren, write down what you have meant to us over the years as a testament to them to pass on because what you have been in the past, you will be today. You are the same God. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus, and Paul, and Peter, and Timothy and Charles Spurgeon, and Charles Swindoll, and Jim Allman. You haven't changed a bit. So give us that kind of certainty that we can trust you. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen.